in Crete, uh, whatever. He's, uh, Titus is the pastor of uh, these, these churches, these house churches, uh, Presbyterian as they are, um, on the island of Crete. And so we uh, come now this morning to these qualifications for elder. We'll read uh, verses 5 through 9 of Titus chapter 1. Uh, again, as you know, it's our practice to stand when we read Scripture. So if you are able, please do that now. Uh, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in and through these words in our own hearts uh, so that we might uh, hear and know and understand, but also that we might uh, grow in godliness, that we might grow, uh, be continually transformed in the renewing of our mind after the image of Christ and be uh, renewed all over again, refreshed all over again uh, of the glories and splendor of our Savior. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, every so often uh, here at Grace Covenant, we preach uh, a sermon series that's, that's particularly aimed at us as a church plant. Um, at, in, a, in, you know, in that sort of setting as a church plant. Because we're looking ahead to uh, those days when uh, we will elect our own elders. We'll have our own officers. Uh, and so these things matter for us uh, in a particular way uh, as we look ahead to the days when we will have our first group uh, of elders from this particular body. The question becomes, of course, what are you looking for? Uh, how do you know who qualifies? Uh, can anybody do it? Is there any limitation at all? Uh, are there any requirements that people have to meet in order to be qualified to be elders uh, in the church, particularly here at Grace Covenant Church? Uh, he's the CEO of his company, so surely he, he probably would be a good elder. Uh, he's a lawyer, and we don't have one of those on the session, so we probably should. So let's make him an elder because... Uh, we, we need a lawyer, um, you know, just in case. It's always good to have a lawyer in your back pocket, I suppose. And so if we make one an elder, then um, he'll owe us, right? Then he'll be in a good position to take care of us. Or, or what if, um, you know, he's, he's the boss, he's the guy I work for, and, um, you know, he's not just the boss, he's my boss. And so I probably ought to vote for him because, you know, he may get me back at, at work, I mean, he could take it out on me if I don't vote for him. I wonder if he would know. Maybe he wouldn't know. Maybe I can keep it a secret. You see, we go through all sorts of, how do I know what I'm looking for in an elder? Well, Paul gives us 
um, at least two places. Here in Titus 1, he t- gives us in, in 1 Timothy, th- Timothy 3. Uh, Peter will give us uh, some requirements in 1 Peter 5. Uh, what are you looking for when selecting elders at Grace Covenant? Well, here's your list. Here's what you are looking for when that day comes. Paul and Titus uh, perhaps together had planted these churches and, and you get the sense there. Uh, of course, at the time, they, they were all house churches. There were no churches meeting in, in their own building, much less the local public library. They were, they were meeting wherever they could. Um, and so he commands, instructs Titus. He sends Titus back uh, to Crete uh, to, uh, to, to appoint elders in each of these uh, churches. Notice something, though, as you glance through the list of requirements. Do you remember the days when the Democrats were in power and they had the Oval Office and they said character doesn't matter and the Republicans said, oh, no, personal and private character matters greatly. You remember when the Republicans were in power and they had the Oval Office and they said, Character doesn't matter. And the Democrats said, oh, no, personal and private character matters greatly. Um, It's amazing how frequently character doesn't matter if it's their guy. Um, And how infinitely important character is when it's not their guy. Both have done this. Some much more recently than others. You look through this list in in Titus 1. And there's only one thing, really, that can be considered an ability. So you tend to think, well, let's see, who qualifies as an elder? Let me see what he does. Well, hold on. That's the very last thing Paul gets to in this list. Everything else is a character trait. Everything else has to do with his personal and private life in a lot of ways. Uh, You're looking for... Uh, character uh, more than you are ability. It's not until you get down all the way down to verse 9 and and he has to be able to give instruction and rebuke people uh, that you get to something that resembles a character, I mean, an ability, a gift, something to do. Most of this list has to do with what an elder is than what an elder does. So is matters uh, for choosing elders. So what are the qualifications? Uh, in, in the Lord of the Rings, there's one ring that rules them all. Well, in this list, there's one qualification that rules them all. Uh, there's one qualification that, quite honestly, if it was the only one you said, and he says it twice here, if it was the only one he gave... Everything else in the list is just an application of it. Notice how he begins that elders, if anyone is above reproach, verse 6. And then he says it again in verse 7. An overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. There's the, the ring to rule them all. The qualification to rule all other qualifications. Everything else that he says really is a particular, specific application of what it means to be above reproach. Now you need to know 
that above reproach doesn't mean sinless. So it, it doesn't mean you're looking for the guy who, you know, has arrived. He's perfect. He doesn't sin anymore. He doesn't do anything wrong anymore. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean sinless. Because for that matter, Paul is writing this letter to Titus. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. So Paul can't give a qualification. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This isn't Paul's list. This is the Holy Spirit's list. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, can't demand of elders a higher qualification, a higher requirement than he as an apostle had to meet. He calls himself the chief of sinners. So he clearly doesn't mean you're looking for sinless people. There are no sinless people. And if you're told to have elders and there are no sinless people, then you're not looking for someone who is sinless. Above reproach doesn't mean sinless. But it does mean someone against whom uh, you can't charge serious, heinous, grievous sin. You're asking the question, if this guy becomes an elder of our church, is he going to bring shame on the name of Christ? Is he going to bring shame on the name of Christ's bride? Is he... Above reproach. Can I, is there a um, heinous, grievous, glaring sin that is running rampant through his life that we're going to ignore to make him an elder that could, quite honestly, cause trouble for the church one day? Or not? That's the question. An elder must be above reproach. That's the qualification that rules all the others. Notice that all the other areas, all the other uh, qualifications, all the other requirements are just applications of being above reproach. So first of all, notice that an elder is above reproach, verse 6, in his marriage. He's the husband of one wife. Notice the pronouns we've been using, by the way. This is a big deal in our culture. This is a big deal in the church. Notice the pronouns. So far, all the pronouns have been masculine pronouns. We've been saying he and his. We haven't yet said she or hers uh, or her. Because the office of elder is open to men only. That's not popular in 2018 in the United States. It's not popular in a lot of churches around us. It's not a popular position to hold, but it is uh, very clearly the position of Scripture. The Greek phrase there is literally, of one woman, a man. And there's no way to get around that. Here's an illustration of sorts. I have never, I've never been to a gynecologist. I've been in a gynecologist's office because my dad was one and I worked there as a teenager one time when they were moving offices and I had to carry, you know, lug files and stuff all over the place. But I've never been to the gynecologist. I've never had to see a gynecologist. You know why? Because I don't need one. They see women, not men. The word, the Greek word that gives us gynecologist is the Greek word in this 
verse for wife. It's the exact same root. There's no way to twist wife and mean, well, just a spouse. I mean, it can be the wife of one husband and it's just a spouse of one spouse. And what really matters is that you're in a loving, you know, committed relationship just to do it. There's no way to twist that. And, and the word used for man isn't the generic term that gives us things like anthropology, the study of mankind. It's not that Greek word. It's a very specific masculine male Greek word. The office of elder is limited to men and men only. In fact, you'd actually have, based on these words, you'd have a much easier time making the, the argument that an elder has to be married than that you could make the argument an elder could be a woman. The, the language won't allow a woman in the office of elder. But you could read this and go, I think we're going to make the rule that elders have to be married. I don't think that's Paul's aim. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying that, that, that the requirement, the husband of one wife, therefore he must be married. I don't think that's the requirement. Single men can be a one-woman man. A single man can be of one woman a man and fit the qualifications. Sexual purity, saving himself for marriage, uh, recognizing that sex has its right and appropriate place and you keep it in the context and bounds of, of uh, marriage between a man and a woman. A single man can be an elder. Uh, a, a widower can certainly be an elder. Be a man of one woman. There are contexts in which divorced men can be elders as well. The first requirement is that he be above reproach in his marriage. That he be a one woman man, of one woman a man. There's a second family requirement. Notice the second part of verse 6. His children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. I mentioned this um, one time when we were in uh, 1 Timothy. Um, the word that we have translated believers is really faithful. Uh, and it doesn't require the children to be Christians. Um, it's a question of are they faithful to the godly advice and counsel and discipline that they're receiving from their father? Are they faithful to their parents? Are they willing to listen to their parents? Or does, the, this, does this man have his children uh, in submission as they are commanded to be in Ephesians 6? His children aren't open to uh, the charge of debauchery or insubordination. They're not uh, completely disruptive. They're not living wild, crazy lifestyle outside of the home or living one way in public and another way in the church. They're not double-minded in that sense. Are they willing to listen to their father's discipline and instruction or are they refusing it completely? So notice the first thing we are to examine when looking for Men to serve as elders, you're watching their marriage and you're watching their parenting. It makes sense, right? It makes sense that a man who would be an elder should have 
charge control of his house, that his household should be uh, well under his care, uh, under his concern. Did you notice the word that Paul uses in verse 7? An overseer as God's steward. A steward is someone who owns nothing and manages everything. In the place of someone who's gone, he manages all of that guy's property, household, his stuff, his fields, his flocks. He manages all of it. And yet he owns none of it. Well, if... If a man can't, isn't a, a faithful steward of the four or five in his house, why would he be a faithful steward of the four or five hundred in his congregation? He should be a, a faithful steward on God's behalf in the walls of his, his own home before he's given that function and responsibility within the walls of the church. He must be able to manage his household well, a faithful steward in his home. So an elder must be above reproach in his home. And notice uh, verse 7, we then get this list of seven negatives. These are, these are the things an elder is not. So what, am, what is an elder? Well, here's seven things that he's not. Um, or five things. I can't remember now right off the top of my head. Um, verse 7 threw me off, my brain off. Uh, but there's a, this list of things that he is not supposed to be. You're not looking for someone who is... Arrogant, verse 7. Must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant. You're not looking for someone who um, thinks highly of themselves, who uh, demands that everyone around them think that their way is the only way and certainly the right way and the best way and, and puffed up with pride and ego. Now it's interesting because in... First Timothy 3, Paul writes, if, if a man desires the office of elder, he desires a noble thing. It's not inherently wicked. It's not inherently arrogant for a man to desire the office of elder. In fact, in, it's a, a qualification there in First Timothy 3. So that's not an automatically a reflection of his arrogance. But you're watching his life does he listen to other people? Does he demand his way? Does he expect that you will all uh, bow down to my ideas and my thoughts and my aspirations? You know, arrogant people tend not to work well with others. That's why one of the reasons that that arrogant that an arrogant man is is not an elder you're looking for someone who's not arrogant because notice the way the the words Paul uses in verse both in verse um, five and in verse seven appoint elders that word's plural uh, for an overseer uh, should be and then you get this notion that you're appointing a plurality of elders. Uh, you're, 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 the goal is not just one elder, but more than one. An arrogant man doesn't work well in, with other people. But an elder also should not be quick-tempered. 
verse 7. He's not quick to fly off the handle. He's not quick to get angry. He's not quickly to, to lash out with his tongue at the people around them. He's not quickly hot under the collar uh, as it were. But he's also not a drunkard. Now, I firmly believe Scripture grants us our Christian liberties. The, the Bible doesn't condemn the consumption of alcohol in every situation. In fact, Paul instructs Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach issues. So he's not condemning alcohol at all. It's a question of, are you controlling it or is it controlling you? You're looking for a man who's controlled by the Spirit, not by substances. Is he under the control of God's Holy Spirit or is he under the control of, uh, of alcohol? You also want elders who are not given to violence. He's not a, not a violent man. His first thought whenever there's conflict isn't to put up your dukes. He doesn't resort to let's fight first and then we'll talk and figure it out later. His first reaction isn't let's go to battle and see who wins. You're looking for a man who's not violent. You know, I, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, let me let you, let you in on a little secret. Some of you may know this already. Um, people um, can be difficult. People can be, um, you know, hard to work with. People can 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 say things and do things that you wish they wouldn't say and do. How will you react in that situation? The man whose first reaction is anger and violence and lashing out and quick-tempered is not an elder. That's not the man you want to serve as an elder. It can also be tempting for elders to just run over people uh, in the congregation to say, well, we've decided this. And yes, we know we think the, you know, the entire congregation thinks it's a bad idea, but we're going to do it anyway. And we're going to make you and get over it. And they can run over you and demand uh, that you just get in line and follow along because we're elders and you're not. You don't want a man who's who's arrogant, who's violent. But you also don't want one who's greedy for gain, who's in it because their votes can be bought. You know, this is this is this is a problem in so many places and scenarios. If they're in it for their own greed, for their own gain, then they're in it for the money, they're in it for the prestige, they're in it for the honor. And in those situations, they can be bought. You can go to them and say, hey, if you will make this happen in the church, then I will slip you some money, support your business, any number of ways. Is their influence for sale? Do they care more about uh, padding their own bank account than they do for the congregation? As you look through that list, notice something. Each of those has a, 
a corresponding, very particular, specific sin associated with it. You, you, you'd want people who aren't driven by pride, temper, drink, power, or money. These are all sources of temptation for people, right? Pride and arrogance. Uh, I can seek my own glory rather than Christ. My own temper, uh, I lack control of it. Given to uh, drinking alcohol and, and driven by substance rather than the Spirit. Driven by power and the authority that comes with being an elder. Driven by money and greedy gain. These are all particular dangers, certainly for men, but in the office of elder, you don't want men who are driven by those things. Elders shouldn't be mastered by these or marked by these. Instead, they should be self-controlled. They should be able to control their own passions and longings and desires. And then there's a list of six positive things. We won't go through either, each of them. They're, they're obvious enough. Let me make this observation about the six uh, things in that list in verse uh, eight. Hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. The first three have a lot more to do with your horizontal relationships. Is he, uh, is he self-controlled? Uh, is he hospitable? Does he care for people? Does he welcome people into his home? Does he offer them food, a place to stay if necessary? Is his, is his door open? Is his home open to people either in the congregation or outside of it? Does he love what's good? Does he seek the good of others? Is he self-controlled? The, the second group of three, upright, holy, and disciplined, have a lot more to do with an elder's vertical relationship, with our vertical relationship with God. Are we, are we disciplined? Are we committed to the means of grace, to growing in godliness? You're watching a man's piety. Is he upright and holy and disciplined? Is he committed to the means of grace in training his own godliness, his own love for Christ? And then the final qualification is the closest thing you get to an ability. It's the closest thing you get to something he can do in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. He should be above reproach in his doctrinal integrity, holding firm to the trustworthy word of God. You know, in Athens in 2018, this is two weeks in a row now, two sermons in Titus and two weeks in a row, Paul uses trouble words. He insists on using these words that we know today are trouble words. They're, they're divisive in our culture in 2018 in Athens. You don't talk about God's elect. That was last week. And you don't talk about doctrine. I really don't want doctrine. I really just want Jesus. Let's not worry about doctrine. Just give me Jesus. And yet, Paul insists 
There is such a thing as God's elect, and yes, there is such a thing as sound doctrine. The word doctrine just means, what does the Bible teach? If you believe the Bible teaches anything, you have doctrine. You believe in some doctrine or another. It's not a bad word. It's not a a word to run away from. Paul says an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught and be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, solid, reliable, biblical, truthful doctrine of Scripture. Paul won't have elders who will believe just anything. Instead, he wants elders committed to the Word of God, committed to the true, sound, faithful teaching of God's Word. Let me make a couple of applications from this passage. First, let me make this observation. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm really young, or I'm really old, or I'm really new, or I'm really female. And therefore, I'm not going to be an elder. So really, what do I need this passage for? Let me give you two reasons. One, the, the responsibility of choosing elders, of electing elders, falls to the congregation. You need to know what you're looking for. The second reason this passage matters, is this not a target for all of us for our sanctification? Isn't that part of growing in godliness? Isn't that part of being renewed in the whole man after the image of God? That we would grow to more and more be above reproach in our family life, in our parenting, in our marriage, in our relationships with others, in our doctrinal integrity? The truth is, yes, this is a requirement for elder, but quite honestly, it's only a requirement for an elder because it's a requirement for all of us. That we should, we should all seek to be above reproach. What makes it the qualification for an elder is elders should be modeling the very thing they want their congregation growing up in. Another application. And really this is sort of a tangent. Um, it's not really a direct from this passage, but it is a tangent. Uh, You know a bunch of people in the world today who say uh, the only Bible verse they know is judge not lest you be judged. As soon as you say anything about I think this is sin in your life or I'm a little worried about this issue in your life, judge not. The Bible says don't judge. You can't judge. And they use that to say I can do what I want and as long as I'm okay with it and my God is okay with it, then it's really okay. And for that matter, you can't tell me it's unbiblical. You can't judge. Don't judge me. The Bible tells you not to. Do you realize the Bible in a million different ways tells you to judge people all the time? You can't evaluate men for the office of elder without, huh, judging them. Evaluating them, watching their life and going, okay, I see this man and I see this, I see God's word. Do they match? Does what he say he believes play out in his life? I get to evaluate that. You're actually, no, you're commanded to evaluate that. Not just for elders, but quite honestly for each other. There are plenty of places in scripture where you can't do what the Bible tells you to do without evaluating other people. So make sure you have biblical standards, biblical requirements, biblical grounds for that 
evaluation. Another application. Maybe you're a man here at Grace Covenant and you're thinking, you know what, I, I'm, it may be that when the time comes to choose officers here at Grace Covenant, I may very well uh, be one of them. You're considering whether or not you would be an elder here at uh, Grace Covenant. Let me encourage you that for others in the congregation to be able to evaluate these qualifications, you need to be where those people are. It's pretty tough to evaluate these qualifications for men who are never at the things where the church is in order to evaluate these qualifications. If you're wrestling with the possibility of being an elder at Grace Covenant, you need to be where uh, the people of Grace Covenant are. And lastly, let me make this application as well. It's really easy to read this passage and say, I'm toast. I'm done. I'm not even close. I'm not, I'm like, not even close. I'm never going to be an elder at Grace Covenant or anywhere. I mean, show me a church with low standards. I might not even clear the hurdle there. I'm so far from meeting these qualifications. Let me encourage you to remember this. As far away as you are from meeting these qualifications is a reminder yet all over again of how far removed from God and sin you have been and how faithful Christ is, is. Christ is to save you. If you're thinking, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I still come nowhere close to meeting these qualifications, then that should immediately drive you to gratefulness that a Savior would come and take and save you and bring you to saving faith in Christ when you were even still further away. If the gap from where you are now to the office of elder is that great, run to the cross and fall on your face and praise your Savior who crossed a yet greater gap to redeem you when you had absolutely no qualifications whatsoever. All you had was sin that required Him to die. It should drive us, quite honestly, to praise a Savior who is all of these things and saved people who were absolutely none of these things and didn't deserve that salvation at all. At the very least, let these requirements make you run to the cross and thank and praise Him for this great salvation. Let's pray together.